Michael Hayward, host of The Coach on Your Shoulder. In this podcast, we'll explore the world of executive coaching and specifically get to know what coaches do, the various ways they work, and how you can take advantage of a coach to get ahead in your career, with your projects, or in any area of your life where you could benefit from some help in reaching your goals. In this series, we're joined by Melissa Simmons of Lubinology, a Texas-based coaching business. Melissa draws on her extensive business and education experience, as well as her training as a Marine to coach entrepreneurs and business leaders. All right. We're here with Melissa Simmons, who is the founder of Lumenology. Hello again, Melissa. Hey, Michael. We are now moving into the first part of this, which is getting to know yourself. And Melissa, one of the things that coaches often rely on is an assessment of some sort. And that assessment can take a lot of different forms. So what's the best way for us to start figuring out how you can know yourself in this context? Well, as you mentioned, Michael, assessments can be very helpful in the process of knowing yourself. And if someone asked me, what is the best assessment, I would probably give them the same answer I would give if they asked me, what's the best diet or what's the best workout? And the answer to those questions is the one you'll do. And when it comes to assessments, it's the one that you'll use, meaning the one that you can dig into and mine for information and use as a basis for knowing yourself and looking for opportunities to improve. There's a bunch of different assessments out there, some of which are free or cheap. And For example, if a client comes to me with an assessment that they've already done in their workplace and they find it useful and it gives them some insight, great, let's work from that. We don't have to use one that I picked. I mean, the first part that I think of as a coach is you can talk to a person for a while and start to get a sense of who they are and, you know, play back for them the kind of impressions you're getting. But one value of doing an assessment is it kind of short circuits that whole process, right? And you can find assessments that have varying degrees of scientific or proven methodologies. I myself discovered that the one that worked the best for me was Myers-Briggs, especially because it was helpful in the context of understanding more about the people I was working with and how they got their energy and how they communicated and you know the way they came to decisions. So it just happened to be one that worked really well for me. And then I didn't have to go through the process of trying to figure that stuff out about each one of the people who worked for me. I could just say, let's go through this process. Let's learn from this assessment. And very quickly, we could start having productive conversations about how to work together as opposed to who are we? Yeah. So if you think about the assessments, maybe some of the assessments you've had experience with, and I get it that, you know, for each person, it can be a different tool that resonates the way I described the one that resonated for me. What are some of the tools or assessments that you like to show to people and see if they respond to? Like you, I also appreciate Myers-Briggs. And for listeners that just don't know what that is, and they just want to do a quick assessment so they can figure out at least a rough idea of what their Myers-Briggs is, there's a website called 16 Personalities where you can do a free assessment and it'll tell you what your Myers-Briggs is. Is it the accepted standard Myers-Briggs format? No, it's going to give you a pretty good idea of where you fall into that framework. 
Another one that I like is called Sparkotype. That one talks about what type of work you're attracted to, what's going to energize you, what lights your fire. There's another one called Working Genius that I really like. That one talks about areas of genius, areas of competence, and then areas where you're just not as strong. So the theory there is if you're working in a role where you get to exercise your areas of genius, you're going to feel fulfilled, you're going to feel engaged, and you're going to feel gainfully employed. If you're working and asked to do things in your areas of competence, you can do them and you'll probably be successful and it's going to take a toll energetically. This can be a really useful tool for someone who maybe isn't sure if they're in the right role or they're feeling unfulfilled or they're thinking, I should, quote unquote, be happier than I am. Why is this not working for me? And then conversely, if you have someone that's trying to fill a role that's not in either their area of genius or area of competence, it's just not going to fit. They're going to be trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. So that can be a useful tool for that. Mm-hmm. There's also Strengths Finder, Profile XT as another good one. Predictive Index is one that I really like because the assessment part is very easy. All it does is ask participants to pick from a list of words and then it, it gives some useful information on the back end. There's a bunch of different ones. Mm-hmm. And those are just some of the ones that I like and have been exposed to. Another one is DISC. Are you familiar with that one? Heard of it. I haven't used it. It has a lot of overlap with Myers-Briggs. And I find DISC to be also useful. And I recently had a client who I put him through the predictive index and he already had a DISC that he took a year ago when he started his current job. And we had an interesting time looking at the two reports together and seeing where they overlap, which really validated for him some of the results, which when we could point out and identify common threads made it feel more valid to him when he had two different sources for him to say, okay, that really is how I'm showing up at work. Right. We'll share some of the links to these evaluations in the notes to the podcast. The first few you talked about, Melissa, were sort of do-it-yourself assessments. And then Mm -hmm. some of the others that I know a little bit better, the Myers-Briggs official one, the Profile XT and so on, they're, they're like guided that you need somebody to well, first of all, they usually cost money, but they also come with an expert interpretation and sort of playback. Do you have a strong feeling or not about the risks and rewards of using a guided assessment versus a do-it-yourself? I think that if you do one of the ones that's typically guided, even if you do a do-it-yourself one and then you have someone look at the results and walk you through it, I think you get a lot more out of it when you have someone helping you interpret the results. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For example, I just talked about the client who I was looking at his predictive index and he showed me his disc. It was me asking him questions about how he's showing up at work. One of the things that showed up on his predictive index was that he makes decisions in a very subjective way. And when I started asking him questions, he was laughing because this is something that he just didn't realize about himself. And then when I brought it to his attention and asked him, does this resonate with you, he was laughing because it was like, oh, yeah, no kidding. And one of the examples I gave him is if somebody comes to you and they're trying to convince you of something and they're giving you every logical argument and they're presenting you with lots of data, it's just not going to land with you. And his response was, oh, yeah, that's so annoying. I don't understand that type of thinking. 
he was so far to the extreme on subjective decision making. It helped him understand not only himself, but shed some light on he could come up with examples of a time when he, he was having trouble communicating with someone. And now he all of a sudden understood why. Right. That makes such a difference. And I'm a fan of guided assessments for this reason. If you do something just on your own and you just read the report and the results, you don't necessarily internalize those or understand them or give them depth. But having a conversation, especially a conversation with somebody who's pretty familiar with how the assessment works, where it tends to show up as accurate, and every assessment has a few weaknesses in it, you know, things that it doesn't really do effectively. So if you have somebody who can talk you through it and then come to that kind of real life example that you were just talking about, it says, oh, that's, that's, oh, I see how that shows. I'm showing up this way or I'm affecting people around me this way or I'm reacting to my surroundings in this way and I understand it better now. I have a similar story in the sense that when I use Myers-Briggs, I remember a situation where I was working within a group and Several of us in the group were having a similar challenge working with one fellow. Good guy, but we could be frustrated by him a lot. Then we did a Myers-Briggs, and what we learned was that out of the six people in the group, five of us were highly intuitive. And I always characterize intuitive as we get to, we get to the conclusion first, and then we work our way backwards to figure out how we got there. Mm-hmm. And the other fellow was a sensor. And what it meant that he, was that he worked through coming to a conclusion in the other direction. He worked the process step by step and sort of stepped through it and got to, here's what we should do. Now we could easily come to the same conclusion, but we did it at very different times. And so the frustration wasn't whether or not we came to compatible conclusions. The frustration was a bunch of us got there instantly and he was walking along the path while we were coming backwards. And, and so to sort of meet him in the middle or something like that. So what we found, what I found was that as soon as I understand how he was stepping through the process, I changed the way I talked to him. Mm-hmm. I changed the way I presented the information that I was working with. I didn't judge him by his process or the way, because I used to be judging him by the outcome, which was he didn't get it as quickly as I did. And that wasn't, that just turned out to be not fair. He's a smart guy and he knew how to do it. He just did it differently than I did. Mm -hmm. And once I learned how to communicate with him more effectively, we worked so much better together. Absolutely. And I think Mm -hmm. you could get a similar insight from almost any one of these assessments. I don't think that anyone is particularly the best. I think that having that framework also as a basis for conversation yeah. between you and your colleagues. Mm-hmm. It, it's really helpful. It and is. I think another thing that happens if you try to read your own assessment or your own report in a vacuum without someone helping you or guiding you through the results is it can get a little overwhelming. I recently took an assessment called Tilt 365, which is another great one. I don't have as much experience with it. I took it and I thought it was interesting. The report was 30 pages long, and I found it to be a bit overwhelming. And as I was going through it, before I met with my coach to go over the results and she could walk me through it, I decided to read the whole thing. And what I found was that I was picking out all of the things that didn't sound like. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I created a whole other sheet for things that I thought did sound like me and things that didn't sound like me. 
And it turns out that when she walked me through the results, I was able to integrate and process it in a much smoother way than what I was trying to do by myself. I'm with you on that. I think it's not absolutely necessary, but it is kind of advantageous when you have somebody go through an assessment with you and help you figure out, well, like, what's the so what about this? And avoiding the things in there that don't sound like us, but actually some of them are. And we okay. need to spend some time thinking about that because that's actually where the opportunity to improve lies. So let's say we get to the point where we've now got a decent understanding of where we are. How do we use the information that comes from an assessment and those initial conversations to turn to the next part, which is seeking self-improvement? I think a lot of times it starts from a place of pain or discomfort. And you already gave us a perfect example where you were having a situation at work where you were frustrated and weren't exactly sure why. Then you took the assessment. It gave you a greater understanding. And then you were able to shift gears to start thinking about how could I approach this person differently? How could I communicate with this somebody differently? So the assessment gives you a starting point. And then the next step frequently starts from a place of discomfort or pain. I guess one of the things that can happen when you go through an assessment is that you start to get down on yourself, that you think I'm broken because you look at places where maybe you didn't show up on the assessment the way you thought you were going to, or it said that you're showing up at work in a way that's different from the way you think you are or the way you think you should. So how do you take that assessment information and stop or avoid the idea of it becoming yet another reason to be unhappy with yourself? Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And the way that I frame this for people before I even go over results with them is that this is just data. It's just information. It's not good and it's not bad. And part of the reason I know to do that is because of my own experience taking assessments and identifying things that I may not necessarily like about myself or I may wish that I was different in some way. One of the things that comes out on almost every assessment that I take is that I can be pretty serious and intense about things and that people perceive that as aloof and unapproachable. Those are not words that I want to see <laughs> in my assessment. And when I read them, it's tempting to go down that path of, oh man, that's not how I want to show up. And so it opens the door for me to say, okay, if that's information, all it is is data. It tells me mm -hmm. that here's something that's actually a strength. I'm intense. I'm focused. I'm serious. It benefits me in many ways because people take me seriously. I get things done. And then the dark side of that is that people can perceive me as aloof and unapproachable. And it's important information for me to be aware of. And if I spend all of my time thinking, oh, man, I don't want to be that way. I wish I wasn't that way. I miss the opportunity to say, OK, this is a fact or this is a potential reality. And by knowing that, mm -hmm. I can then take measures to make people feel more open around me. I can elicit information from people instead of thinking that they're going to come to me. I can find ways to mitigate that only because I've accepted the reality. I've taken in the information and I've processed it in a way that makes it accessible and actionable. A lot of assessments will give you some sort of an output chart or graph that says, oh, there's a scale that goes from 
negative to positive or A to B or 1 to 10 or something like that. And then the interpretation is you're here, maybe the entire population tends to be there. Or if you're doing this assessment as one of a group and everybody's doing the same assessment, you can compare notes with other people and say, oh, I'm a seven and you're a two mm-hmm. on, this, on this thing. How do you use assessments effectively when what you're seeing is the ways that you're different from or similar to other people? And how do you use that as a, you know, a area to build self-improvement? Well, we can go back to the example that you shared is what you experienced in your workplace with a group of people is that you had a collection of folks who were intuitive and then you had someone else who was sensing. And it was by realizing and becoming aware of those differences that you could then start to uncover and dig deeper and gain understanding about where you were having a little bit of friction. Mm -hmm. I think knowing something about yourself really helps you think about how you are in context to other people. For example, I tend to skew on the introvert side. This is something for me to be aware of. And it's also something for me to recognize about other people, that other people are not the same way. That certainly at work and also it bleeds over into interpersonal relationships. My partner is an extrovert. He wants to be out. He wants to be around people. He needs that. It's important for him. And this could be a potential source of conflict. What I've come to recognize and what I think we've figured out over time is I can do those things with him as long as I have time to recover and have some quiet time. It's important for me to not only know myself, but to know the other as well, Mm -hmm. because then it helps me notice when someone else is different than I am, just like your example with your work. And to figure out what can I do to engage in this relationship more productively. Right. Do you think it's easier to start working on the points of difference or in the points of similarity when you go through an assessment, especially if you're thinking about how you relate to work or how you're showing up for a group? I think it's easy for people to work with others who are similar to them. (laughs) My opinion is that that's human nature. It's easy to communicate with people who speak the same language as you, who think in the same way, who process things in the same way. And unfortunately, that's not reality. And a lot of times when we're feeling discomfort or conflict in the workplace, it's because people are different. Even in one single element, let's say that you had someone who was one letter off from you in the Myers-Briggs, that's going to change things dramatically with how they show up or how they think or how they process information. Mm -hmm. And I'll share one more example with you is in my role as COO at a startup, I had a young woman working with me and I knew she had a lot of promise, extremely intelligent, accomplished, and I was having a hard time getting her to produce results early on. And it just so happened that we had predictive index. So I went back to her predictive index. And one thing I noticed is that she's highly collaborative. And all of the tasks I was giving her were assignments for her to accomplish on her own. And I had a light bulb moment when I saw that on her profile. And I thought, okay, if that's how she works more effectively, is there a way that I can offer her some collaboration? And all I did, I simply set up a couple of meetings for her as she was starting a new project where she would meet with two other people to talk it out and to figure out what direction she wanted to go. And it was game changer. All of a sudden, she felt more productive. And it, it was challenging because I'm not that way. 
And so I had to really challenge myself to look at the world through her eyes and to think what would be most effective for her. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a good example. If a person has an assessment and they're all gung-ho about it, I've had this come up in the workplace too. And like I said, the example that I use the most often is Myers-Briggs because that's the assessment that I have used most often in the workplace. How do you get people to learn how to work with you better? You know, the example I gave was me understanding, ah, there's how my colleague is is working on this stuff. And that was great, but I don't know, do you, do you put the results of your assessment on your office door and hope that everybody looks at it before they come in and talk to you? You could do that if you had an office door is to put up a sign. <laughs> and if people read it, it probably would help. In the absence of that, there are things you can do. So for example, I like to have time to process information and think things through. And I worked with another executive who really liked to think out loud. Once I kind of figured this out, I asked her to just send me something ahead of time before the meeting where we were going to talk about something so that I would have time to think about it, process it, and I could come to the meeting well-prepared. And it made a big difference. And what it took was me asking for that, recognizing that there was a difference, seeing that I was not quite aligned and trying to figure out why and what was going on, and then asking for what I needed. And I think that that's an important step in teaching other people how to work effectively with you. It starts with knowing yourself. And then the second step is communicating that. One example is some people process information more quickly than others. And so if you're someone who processes things more slowly, and I'm an interesting contrast because I process things quickly, I, I think quickly, I, I act quickly, and I also want to have some time to kind of mull things over. So it's kind of a weird combination there. If you're someone who processes information slowly, Letting somebody know that, especially when you feel overwhelmed or overloaded, is important. And if you have a receptive audience, then they are going to be willing to make adjustments to meet you where you are. Yeah, there is that sense of helping people understand if you process quickly and can deal with a bunch of inputs and come to an opinion on the spot and justify it, that's great. But it, you know, sometimes if your processing says, what I really need to do is I need to take this away and step through it a little bit, and then I'll come back to you right? Just actually being able to say that out loud and understand okay. that that's the way you want to process it. I think that must make a big difference at times in managing the expectations of the person you're working with or sitting across from. You, you know, mm -hmm. think about your boss, right? And one of the things that this lets us do is maybe manage the boss a little bit better. Absolutely. Right? Boss, boss comes in with expectations. You say, well, look, now I know myself a little bit better. This, I'm sure you wouldn't quite say it like this to your boss, but you say, now that I know myself better, I need you to understand the best way to get the best performance out of me. And if that means I need to take this in, I need to step away, work on it a little bit, and then I'll come back to you and then you know keep that promise, obviously. But then I think the boss has a much better chance of evaluating you fairly. And especially if that's a person who has many people reporting to her or him, and each person works a little bit differently, the more you can manage that expectation, the more likely you're going to have a good relationship and, and a good review at the end of the year. Absolutely. Think about the example I shared about the young woman who I figured out what the disconnect was. If she had come to me and told me the same thing, it probably would have accelerated that process if she had come to me and said, I'm having trouble getting this started. I really function well when I can collaborate with somebody else. 
can I just set up some meetings with other people first? Great. Me as the boss, it would make it easy for me to say, yes, what I care about is the result. Absolutely. Go do that. And that's something that all of us can do, whether we're the boss or whether we have a boss. We can always find room for improvement. Yeah, I agree with you. Great. So this episode has really focused on the idea of knowing yourself through assessments and turning that into understanding that provides the foundation for self-improvement. I think in our next conversation, I'm really looking forward to talking about how we turn that into a balanced approach and a proactive approach to, you know, f figuring out and supporting where you're strong and taking this newfound understanding of who you are and uh, turning that into a real action plan. So thanks, Melissa. Looking forward to the next conversation. Thanks, Michael. See you soon. You've been listening to Coach on Your Shoulder. I'm Michael Hayward. Coach on Your Shoulder is a weekly podcast that you can subscribe to in all the finest podcast outlets. Coach on Your Shoulder is co-produced by Melissa Simmons of Luminology. If you have questions about finding a coach or how you can get the most of a coaching relationship, drop us a line. We always love to hear from listeners like you.